we are shifting gears this morning into chapter six of the Gospel of Matthew. In doing so, the, the, target that, the target verse of the sixth chapter of Matthew is hitting that we should first seek the kingdom of God in his righteousness and not worry about all the other things in life that cause us worry and anxiety, but to seek our great God above everything. In that, this, uh, this book is called The Treasure Principle. It's by Randy Alcorn. A couple million of these have been published over the years. Um, there are some of these that I just pulled out on the back shelf back there. If you want one, take one for free. If you don't know anything about biblical generosity and what God has to say about the stuff that he gives to us and how it can grip our hearts, and that's not where he wants our attention. He wants our attention on him. It's a fabulous Bible study if you need to be introduced to that. And that means welcome to Calvary Chapel. I knew that this guy was going to start talking about money right away, right? We talk about what the Word of God talks about. When it comes to you and your wallet, I don't need my fingers in your wallet, and I don't care about any of that stuff. We don't pass the plate here because I don't want attention on it, and we're going to talk a little bit about that this morning. This is your home congregation. We are fellowshipping together, serving one another, and that includes in all the finances that are necessary to take care of what we do here. So the offering box is in the back. It's online, but we're not going to put this guilt and this pressure on you as we pass a bag around the room, uh, forcing you to put your hand in there so that everybody can see you giving, right? We're going to talk about this kind of stuff this morning. But this is where we are in the Gospel of Matthew. So I want you to open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 5, which took us a few months to go through Matthew 5. And the reason why is this is a three-chapter sermon of Jesus. But we're sitting with this man, Matthew. Matthew in history was a tax collector. That means as we start pressing into the topic of money and possessions, this is a guy who is very familiar with money. It was something that gripped his heart to the, to the extreme that in his culture, he sold himself to the Romans to be a tax collector, to commit to the Roman Empire, I'm going to collect X amount of tax, taxes from the Jewish people, my people that you were oppressing, and I'm going to squeeze my people for extra money so that I can live in abundance. That was Matthew. Matthew had a radical encounter with Jesus. My understanding is as we go through the Gospel of Matthew, we're going to hit the account where Jesus calls Matthew to come and follow Jesus. That is after this sermon. My imagination tells me that Matthew is one of the people that's sitting on this hillside on this day, taking notes as he's listening to Jesus preach this message of what is this rabbi teaching? What are these miracles that I'm hearing that he's performing? And Matthew is going to be one of the individuals that at the end of this three-chapter message, he sits in astonishment at the authority and the power in which Jesus is teaching. 
as we have been traveling through this section of the gospel, we keep going back to Jesus is giving this call for every single human being to repent. Whoever hears the name of Jesus, whoever hears the doctrines and the teachings of Jesus, it always begins with the foundation of repentance, which is a turning away. It's a change of thought. It's a new way to think. And that's what he's pressing into our minds and our hearts is changing the way that we think and directing our minds to our creator, not to the stuff that our creator gives us and how that we can lord it over others, which is the emphasis of so many people's life. So here it's this call to repentance. The idea of repentance is always tied to the kingdom of God is the real and true kingdom. It is a spiritual kingdom that we see today, but we are hoping prophetically, we have the promises that Jesus is going to return and he is going to rule and reign as king for all eternity. So he's pressing us into his kingdom principles, which is beyond just the idea of treasure. Our mind and our heart is all on him all the time. And in this call to follow Jesus, it's come, come to me as you, as you follow me. I'm going to make you to be something that you're not. I'm going to change you. I'm going to transform you. I'm going to give you freedom. I'm going to give you my grace. I'm going to give you the provisions that you need. As you follow Jesus Christ, we watch all of these attributes that he begins this message with in the Sermon on the Mount, these beatitudes, the poor in spirit. This is the idea of humility mourning over your own circumstances, your own conditions of life, the conditions of others as we see sin, uh, the meek being gentle and mild, hungering and thirsting for righteousness. And this promise that you will be filled today, we're gonna to press heavily into the idea of righteousness again this morning, because that is the theme through this entire sermon. Blessed are the merciful, this idea of showing compassion. We're going to press into, again, the idea of mercy today. This word for mercy, this is an internal uh, processing and emotion. We're going to press into the activity of mercy, the deeds of mercy today. Blessed are the pure in heart. Blessed are the peacemakers. Knowing that as you follow Jesus, as you follow his teachings, as you follow him, persecution is going to come your way for his name's sake because the life that he is calling us to stands in, it stands in contrast and opposition to the life that the whole rest of the world tells us that we ought to live, which is always for yourself or it's for somebody else. It's never for your creator. In the verse uh, 513, you are the salt of the earth. This definition, this is coming out with the idea of the words that we speak to add flavor and seasoning to those conversations. Verse 14 there says, you are the light of the world. This becomes very important in our context today. Verse 16 says, let your light shine before men that they, when they see your good works, those activities, those actions that you're choosing to do as you follow Jesus in your life, that people aren't turning to you and giving you the attaboy and giving you the honor and giving you the glory, but they're turning to God, praising God for you, praising God for your love for the Lord, praising God for your service to the Lord, that they're taking their witness of your life and taking that and just praising God for his blessings and glorifying the Lord. Very important as we continue this morning. 
That leads into this whole idea that Jesus has not come to destroy the law and the prophets, the Old Testament. And the idea that he's pressing into, I've not come to destroy the way uh, that the Old Testament teaches you where righteousness comes from. And again, the whole idea of righteousness, it's, it's, a, it's a gift of God. He has given to us his righteousness as we pursue him in faith. And this revelation that righteousness does not come from the works of the law, but it comes through faith in Jesus Christ. And in verse 20, he says, I say to you that unless your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, this is, uh, we've talked about this a lot, this whole idea that unless your righteousness exceeds that of the religious leaders of the day, which is impossible because these are the experts in the law, they're the experts in religion, whose righteousness could possibly exceed that? Well, again, there's the simple act of faith is a gift. His righteousness is a gift to you. It's not through the works of the law. So as we proceed this morning into the rest of this conversation, the rest of this message, the rest of this sermon, the background is extremely important because again, we're sitting with Matthew as he is revealing and communicating and unveiling to us who Jesus is and what it is that Jesus taught and what he's, what he's looking for in us in relationship with him. So in this, he's dealing with our heart. He dealt with the emotion of anger, the emotion of lust, the whole idea of marriage and how we image the Lord to one another and in divorce, how that breaks that image. He pressed into the idea of our O's being our word, be your yes and be your no, have be a man and a woman of integrity. Pressed into this idea of not only just non-resistance, but in the hostility that comes against you for your relationship with the Lord. Not to stand in opposition to that hostility, but looking for ways to shine the light of God into the lives of those who were hostile to the Lord. And then ultimately, last week, we pressed into this teaching of loving our enemies. Those that we would define as an enemy of God, those that we would define as your personal enemy. How do we bless them? told you last week, this command to do good to those who hate you. We're going to talk about doing good today, praying for those who spitefully use you. Once we finish this morning, we're going to spend, I don't know, five, six weeks dealing with prayer. Then we'll get into fasting. Then we'll get into anxiety and worry, getting us to this conclusion where Jesus is pointing each one of us to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And then in chapter seven, take us a couple more months to get through that section, gets to this ultimate conclusion. You who are hearing the teachings of Jesus, what are you going to do with those words? Are you going to be wise and listen and receive and obey? Or are you going to be unwise and reject and turn away from his teaching of truth, unveiling to us his creator? You got all that as background? I know it's kind of long-winded, but it's important to understand where we are this morning and where we're going because we're traveling very slow through this long message. All right, chapter 6, verse 1 says, again, sit in the scene. This is Jesus teaching a crowd, teaching his disciples, teaching the curious in regards to his kingdom, in regards to the righteousness of his kingdom. 
It says, take heed that you do not do your charitable deeds before men to be seen by them. Otherwise, you have no reward from your Father in heaven. Therefore, when you do a charitable deed, do not sound a trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may have glory from men. Assuredly, I say to you that they have their reward. But when you do a charitable deed, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, that your charitable deed may be done in secret. And your father who sees in secret will himself reward you openly. He's going to continue on. He's going to talk about your prayer, your conversations with God, about your secret conversations with God. He's going to talk about fasting. And again, going to continue in this conversation and the encouragement to seek after God above and beyond anything else. But here's the context. So in verse one, this take heed, this is a specific command. This is in the imperative. This is Jesus telling you, this is something you personally in your own life, you need to pay attention to the motives behind why you do what you do. Jesus is saying, pay attention, do not do. The product of your life, the fruit of your life, what you're choosing to do and produce. Do not do these righteous acts is the emphasis of this word. Some of your translations are gonna say that. So do not do your righteousness. Do not do your righteous deeds and your righteous behavior before men and women in a way that they are looking at you to give you the gold star, to give you the honor and to give you the glory. Now, we have to sit in, I just, I just read earlier where Jesus tells us that we are the light of the world and that as you do your good deeds, do them in a way that's not bringing attention to yourself, but that people are responding and giving glory to God. Jesus is saying the exact same thing here. But he's not telling us that we do, that our actions are in this hidden isolation cell of darkness and we're all by ourselves and nobody ever observes our life. But he's getting at the motive of what we're doing. And the language that he's using throughout this teaching, it's a stage. The word for theater in its, in its etymology, the, where we get our word for theater, it means to be seen. So when he talks about a hypocrite, a hypocrite is, it's an actor. It's the Greek word for actor. But when we look at an actor, an actor is somebody who is pretending to be somebody else. An actor is somebody who is sitting backstage and every single one of us did this before we showed up this morning. Every single one of us at some point this morning looked in the mirror or behind the scenes, it's just you in the mirror. Ladies, you're doing your makeup, you're doing your hair. I don't have hair. Well, I looked in the mirror as I shaved my head, but we're looking in the mirror and we're preparing ourselves for our public appearance, right? So often we can be very gripped by what we think other people see about us. More often than not, we spend a lot of attention in our mirror time in attempting to cover the things that we think are flaws. Here's my imperfections. Here's what I don't like about me. Here's how I'm going to cover it with makeup. Here's how I'm going to cover it with clothes. Here are the clothes that I'm going to wear that are going to be in style. I'm stuck in the 1990s. If, you know, that's how I would dress if Julie didn't tell me to go and dress appropriately. 
But we put forth this effort every single day in regards to the appearance that we're going to give to everybody that we're going to interact with on that, on that day. This is a church day. We very intentionally, some of you put on what you expect clothes-wise to wear in a church environment that might be different in a gym environment or a beach environment or your work environment. The language that Jesus is getting at, again, it's, it's this stage language. We all live our life on display for others to see. And what he's getting at us, getting at in this conversation is your life is not a stage. Your life is not a performance. Your life is to be lived in the freedom and the image that he has given to you. As you follow Jesus, he wants you to follow him according to his nature and character, his image that he's creating in you, and all of the freedom that he's given you in you, in your personality, the way that you look, and the day that you've been born, and all of this freedom, not caring about what other people think about your stage performance. So in the actor scene, in regards to the hypocrites in this conversation, again, this is the individual an actor sitting behind stage and you're in this vanity with all the lights around and you're applying the makeup to put on a different character, to put on a different face, to pretend to go and be that actor on stage to give this performance to be seen. And this is what Jesus is directly saying from the beginning. When it comes to your charitable deeds that we're gonna talk about in a minute, when it comes to your prayer, when it comes to your fasting, all of these are being defined as your righteous acts of religious piety. Do not do it with the motivation of your stage performance. Do it with the motive and the understanding that all you're doing is pursuing your creator. And the works that you do throughout the day, you're doing them in freedom, in love, in pursuit of him, in hope of him, whether your actions, you know, the, the circumstance of the day, you, you define them as good or as you define them as bad or busy or lazy, it doesn't matter what those outside circumstances look like. Do not do these righteous acts with the idea that you're standing on the stage to be seen by other men and women to, be, to receive glory from them. So he says, when you do your charitable deeds, again, this uh, uh, verse one, the, the emphasis of the word is your, your acts of righteousness. The, uh, the verse two there, it says, therefore, when you do your charitable deeds, do not sound a trumpet. So this word for charitable deeds, this is, these are your, uh, the word, the emphasis is your acts of mercy and your acts of compassion. I told you before in the Beatitudes where it says, blessed are the merciful. This is, this is your, your inner mercy and compassion in your heart as you think, as you, as you experience uh, your own life and the life of others, that there's this internal compassion and mercy that he's bringing about within our souls. The charitable deeds that he's talking about here are um, their actions of mercy, their actions of compassion. And that's why they're directly tied to, many of your translations would say, the giving of alms. So the, your, the, as you have cash and you witness the, the lack and the destitution of another human being, that your compassion and that your mercy is going to lead towards merciful and compassionate behavior in the life of others when it comes to your money. That's the emphasis that Jesus is teaching here. But he's saying, when you do that, 
Don't think that you're on the stage with your trumpet sounding out this major tune for everybody to take their attention and give it to you. So again, this is hyperbole as Jesus is communicating this message. I imagine that there's a bunch of smirks because nobody walks up to the tide box or as the money bag is being passed up and down or as you're, as you're out in the community, as you write your check or you give something online, none of us pick up a physical trumpet and start tooting the horn. But we have that idiom in our culture, don't toot your own horn, right? That's where this idea comes from. Because all of our flesh has this yearning and desire for others to see our good works. We don't want anybody to see our imperfections. We don't want anybody to see our sins. We don't want anybody to see our mistakes, our failures, our brokenness. We are told repetitiously uh, to pursue behavior that is going to reward ourselves publicly. You pursue doing your job to a greater degree when the boss is looking over your shoulder for the wages that are due to you for that job than when the boss is not around. We need that encouragement and that edification and the comfort that comes from others. We need to be recognized. There's, there's a balance in this conversation. It's not that we don't ever say anything good about one another and encourage each other and recognize that we see one another. And this is a, this is a major uh, area in the, just the popular culture right now, this whole idea of people want to be seen. Have you heard this term just, I see you. I see what you're doing. I see your effort. I see your energy. I see your smile. I see your tears. I see you. It's popular right now, but it comes from the word of God. You go sit, you go sit in Genesis, I think in Genesis 16 with God and Hagar. She calls God, you are the God who sees. You want to you sit with a woman that's sitting in a very difficult circumstance and then God comes into her circumstance, into her isolation and alone and her fear and her pain. And her response to God is giving him this title, Elroy. You are the God who sees me. And that's what Jesus is getting at here. Do your works, do your righteous acts, do your almsgiving, do your giving, your acts of service, whatever they may be, knowing that your God is the one who sees you. He sees the motivation of your heart. He sees what you're attempting to accomplish. He also sees when you're doing it for personal reasons, for when the motivation is from uh, the person to give you the gold star for being a good Christian and doing what you ought to do as a Christian. Jesus is directing us to your heart. Jesus wants you to have absolute freedom in him. Unchained, no strings from any religion, from any teaching, from anybody else. He wants you to be fully one with him and motivated by your relationship with him. It's his love that compels us to serve, to do. It's his love that compels us to give. It's his love that compels me here this morning. It's his love that compels me to crack open his word, to study, to meditate, to think. It's his love that compels me to sit there and to seeing that I am no longer a slave. 
have no strings on me. I am not Pinocchio on the stage of life, having other human beings, having the devil, having the world system pulling on my strings, having me dance on a stage for performance. I, am, I keep communicating this whole idea because it's, a, it's something that I've been meditating on for a few months. I know who my old man was. I know so many of the struggles and the fights that I've had with my flesh from the teachings of other Christians, uh, from this world trying to identify me and um, tell me who I ought to be. Even the pressures of just, you know, this title of pastor. Every single one of you is going to have a different idea of who a pastor ought to be and what a pastor ought to do. And if I try and press into all of your definitions and act those things out, I will be a miserable, broken man because I will never meet any of your definitions. Some of them, but I will never meet this whole room's expectations. I can't even meet my own expectations of what I define that title as biblically. So it's one of these ideas that I'm sitting in, Lord, I, I am astounded at the freedom that you've given to me. That as I've attempted, even over time, knowing that I can't work for righteousness, trying to work for my righteousness and my gold star from you so that I can be a well-pleasing servant, so that I can be a good son of God. I've, I've fought through those emotions. And it's hit me over, I don't know how many months this has been, but let's say in the last six months, it's, just, it's hit me in a way where God has made, no, made known to me the incredible freedom and liberty that he has given to me in him. That I get to just press into his identity. There's all kinds of things that I, you know, that I pursue in him, in, just in this life and joy and freedom. Um, you know, whether it's in my marriage with my kids here at the congregation and my job, just knowing that as I, as I pursue life, I am pursuing him because he is the definition of life. So when I sit in his teaching this morning, I'm just, yes, Lord. The righteous acts that I, uh, that I want to do in service to other human beings, in service to you, whether it's with my time or the talents that you've given to me, the treasure that you've given to me. I don't want the reward for men. I don't need to be honored by people. I don't need to be glorified by people. When I receive a compliment, I receive those compliments graciously because I know that there's 10 other, uh, you know, for every one compliment, there's 10 trying to cutting away at my issues because I got them all and you see them just as much as I do. But taking all of those things, my weaknesses and my strengths to the Lord, just realizing that Father, you are the one who sees me. I am in relationship with you. I am a son of God. I am not a son of this world and of the devil and your wrath. The freedom that you have given to me, oh my. I'm not seeking to sound the trumpet of Blake. I'm not seeking to sound the trumpet of Calvary Chapel. I'm not seeking to sound the trumpet of verse-by-verse verse exposition through the Word of God. I am seeking to trumpet God. When you sit with this whole idea of trumpet, first mention of it is the Mount of Sinai. When, G when God shows up and he descends on Mount Sinai in Exodus 20, we are told that this loud, blaring trumpet is sounding. And it's announcing to all of the Jews who are gathered at the foot of this mountain, here comes your God. 
hear him, see him, know him, love him, obey him. That's the only trumpet that I want sounding out of my soul, out of my mouth. Lord, I don't want to be an actor on a stage. I don't want to just be this pastor title on a stage, on a platform, putting on my pastor makeup and my pastor words and all my Christianese and being this one guy up here that's just a pretender telling you to do something that I'm not willing to do myself. I don't want to own you. I don't want to command you. My goal, my motivation, is as often as I interact with you, is that you would know and see and follow and love your creator. That's it. No other goal than him. These hypocrites, these actors, they're doing it in the synagogue. A synagogue is a Jewish gathering place. That's all that the word means. This is an assembly of Jews. We would apply it to the church today. Don't be sounding your personal trumpet. Look what I do for Jesus. Look how I've given, my family has given X amount of dollars and our name is on this pew. Don't anybody else sit in these chairs. That's a, that's a church historical culture that ought not to be. We live in a culture where the rich want to live forever and how they live forever is what do they do? They give to projects where their names can be associated with their projects. You give to this church, you give to this school, you give to this political movement, your name is going to be on this building. It's gonna be on this subject so that your name can endure forever. And Jesus is saying, no. Your life is in me not in these very temporary, fleeting compliments from men and women. Where he says, assuredly I say to you that you've been paid in full. So this is the idea that he's trying to contrast. Your behaviors in life that you would define as Christian service, regardless of what that looks like. Do you want a compliment from the people who see you Or do you want a return on that investment in eternity when you stand face face with your creator? That's your choice. And that's what he's instructing us in. You can have, you can do, you can be a Christian. You can be saved from sin and have eternal life and do all of your works for Jesus, for the compliments and honor of your brothers and sisters. And Jesus is saying, in this life, you have been paid in full as a reward for those compliments. That's your reward. Or do you want to do those works for him and him alone in a way that you're seeking his kingdom and his righteousness, that you're sending forward that that reward, that wage, that payment, that when your father sees in secret, he sees your mind, he knows your motivation, that your reward is going to come from him in that moment that you see him and for all eternity. Which do you want? That's your decision and that's the decision that he's laying before each one of us. I have done works for the accolades of my brothers and sisters around me. And they feel good, but they're always fleeting. They're never enough. I've done works in my life and I'm doing one right now in motivation for him, by him, through him. 
and I don't need, I'm not looking for the honor and the glory that comes from you that's in this room. Because what I'm looking for is for you to be madly in love with your creator and to know him and to follow him. And that's what Jesus is getting at. So he uses another hyperbole. When you do your charitable deed, when you do your almsgiving, when you give your money, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. Again, this is another stage term. It's hyperbole. You're you. How can your left hand not know what your right hand is doing? It, again, it, he's being extreme. But when you sit in the stage, on a stage, not only is an actor's face painted, but there's a lot of flourish with the hands, right? So in all those activities with the hand of an actor on a stage to be seen, don't let the actor's left hand know what the actor's right hand is doing. It's kind of like a magician, the sleight of hand kind of attitude that he would be getting at. But in your, in your deeds, don't put all this emphasis upon what you're doing and why you're doing it. It's just being motivated to love the Lord with all that you are. And if you were seeking after him and you were seeking after his righteousness, your behavior is going to be led by him every single day. You don't have to worry about it. You don't have to stress about it. You just have great faith in him processing through your day. Do your charitable deeds in secret in the hidden place. Why? Because your father who sees in secret will reward himself. He rewards you openly in a way that's evident. And whether that's in this life or in the life to come, my opinion that it's both. Quickly turn to Acts chapter 3. We're going to watch this whole idea play out in Peter's life and in John's life in Acts chapter 3. This is a great illustration of what it means to do your righteous deed in a way that is letting light shine before men. And these men and women are turning and glorifying God. And Peter is not taking the accolades that people want to give him, but he's redirecting everybody's attention back to Jesus Christ. This is fabulous. Acts chapter three says, now Peter and John went up together to the temple at the hour of prayer the ninth hour. And a certain man, he's lame from his mother's womb. This man was born broken. He was born disabled to the point that he was carried. And they laid him daily at the gate of the temple, which is called beautiful. So here's a broken man who is carried by family members to a gate as people are going in to worship God. This man is asking for alms. He's asking for mercy and compassion because he's not able to provide for himself because he is a broken individual. So he's looking for alms. Says to ask alms of those who entered the temple, who seen Peter and John about uh, to go into the temple, they, he asked them for alms. And fixing his eyes on him with John, Peter said, look at us. And he gave them his attention, expecting to receive something for, from them. Then Peter said, silver and gold, I don't have. But what I do have, I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. 
And he took him by the right hand and lifted him up. And immediately his feet and ankle bones received strength. So he, leaping up, stood and walked and entered the temple with them, walking, leaping, and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God. Then they knew that it was he who sat begging alms at the beautiful gate of the temple. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what happened to him. Sitting in the context of this, if you're familiar with the Gospels and who Peter was as a man called by Jesus, and we get to watch Peter as a man be transformed in his character by Jesus. We watch Peter as a man wanting to do things his way and his interpretation and his timing to a man who becomes broken and walks away from that broken moment as he is rejecting Jesus, goes away in tears. After Jesus is crucified and then resurrected, we're told that that Peter and Jesus have a one-on-one conversation with one another, that we don't have any recording of the details of that conversation where Peter is restored in his brokenness by the love of the resurrected Christ. Peter, in that transformation, in that conversation, is a man sitting with the other 120 disciples. After Jesus ascends into heaven and they witness that, he's sitting there in prayer in the upper room, waiting for Jesus to fulfill his promise of sending the Holy Spirit, of sending the helper. Peter's a man on that day of Pentecost with Matthew that we're reading. And Luke, Luke wasn't there, but we're reading through Luke here in Acts. He hears the witness and the testimony of the Holy Spirit being poured out on Peter. On that day of Pentecost, we're told that Peter stands up and preaches this incredible message. And the message and the power of the Holy Spirit in a way that cuts people to the heart. Not so that they can say, oh, look how awesome all of the disciples are. The message convicted people to say, I want to know your God. And I want to know the salvation and the hope that you have. What do I need to do to be saved? That is what people were left with in that question. And now as you fast forward a couple of months, some time has gone on. And Peter and John, they're going to the temple, this place. They're in Jerusalem. They're going at the hour of prayer. They're continuing their religious behavior, freed from their religion, but still pursuing a conversation with God, gathering with their fellow Jews, looking for the opportunity to share the truth about who Jesus Christ is. How many times did they pass by the same guy? Every day, this guy is sat by, sat on these steps and he's asking for money. Did Peter and John ever give this guy money? Maybe. But on this day, there's, there's the power of the Holy Spirit in Peter's mind. Peter sees that man because God saw that man. And he's looking at the man's need. You don't need money. You need to be restored. You need to be saved. You need a relationship with your creator that allowed you to be born broken. But on this day, his glory is going to be revealed for you. Was it worth all of that man's pain, emotional and physical pain over the decades? You think it was worth it for him as he stands up and starts skipping around on that day and his life becomes a testimony to the truth of who God is as creator and savior, as redeemer? 
That's all of the emotion and the weight that's sitting in the circumstances. Peter is saying, this isn't about me. This isn't about what I have. This isn't about my works of righteousness. This isn't about my degree in Christianity. What I do have is a relationship with Jesus Christ. And I am commanding you in his name, stand up and walk. This was a physical miracle. It also has an incredible spiritual application. You today in the power of Jesus, stand up in freedom in him and walk out your life looking at him and loving him day by day. And then Peter starts preaching because what are the people doing? The people are astonished. What? I've seen this guy. I, I, we know who he is. What's happened? And then pe- people want to hire Peter. This is, when, this is the day that Peter ought to start a nonprofit ministry, name it after himself, the P- Simon Peter of Capernaum Evangelistic Ministries, and start tithing to me so that I can live rich and you can receive some spiritual benefits from me. It's what our culture does repetitiously, and it's so wrong. Listen to Peter's message. Now, as the lame man who was healed, held on to Peter, seized Peter and John. I mean, this guy is excited. And all the people are running to them. You can, you can watch them like ants just flocking to this miracle. In the porch, which is called Solomon, greatly amazed. So when Peter saw it, he responded to the people, men of Israel, why do you marvel at this? Why do you, why do you look at us so intently? As though by our own power or our own goodness, our own piety, our own righteous acts, that this man, that this man walks. The God of Abraham, the God who chose Abraham, the God who chose Isaac, the God who chose Jacob, the God of our fathers, glorified his servant, Jesus, whom you delivered up and denied in the presence of Pilate when he was determined to let him go. But you denied the Holy One. You denied the Just One and asked for a murderer to be granted to you and killed the Prince of Life. What a title. Jesus is the Prince of Life, the origin of life, whom God raised from the dead, of which we are witnesses. And this is what we are witnessing and testifying to is the reality of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It is his name, the name of Jesus, through faith, hope, confident expectation in his name that has made this man strong. Was it the man's faith or was it Peter and John's faith? Both? Don't know what this man knew about Jesus, but Peter knew Jesus. Through faith in his name has made this man strong whom you see and know. Yes, the faith which comes through him has given him this perfect soundness in the presence of you all. Yet now, brethren, I know that you did it in ignorance. If you don't know anything about Jesus prior to this moment or you've never really pressed into who is he in truth and reality. I know that you've done a bunch in your life of ignorance. I've, I've lived life ignorantly in a lot of ways. So have my rulers, even Christian rulers. 
But those things which God foretold by the mouth of all of his prophets that the Christ would suffer, he has fulfilled. Repent, reconsider, think, change the way that you're thinking. Know and understand, repent therefore, and be converted. Return to your creator that your sins may be blotted out. And this is not just covered, that your sins would be erased. So that the times, seasons of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. As a goal today, as a goal in, my, in all my interactions with you, seeking for those seasons of refreshing from him, from his presence. That he may send Jesus Christ, because Jesus is coming again, who was preached to you before, whom heaven must receive until the times of restoration of all things, which God has spoken by the mouth of all his holy prophets since the world began. For truly, Moses truly said of the fathers, the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brethren. Him you shall hear in all things, whatever he says to you. And it shall be that every soul who will not hear that prophet shall be utterly destroyed from among the people. Yes, and all the prophets from Samuel, And those who follow as many as have spoken and have also foretold these days, you are sons of the prophets and of the covenant which God made with our fathers, saying to Abraham, and in your seed, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. To you first, he's talking to the Jews. God, having raised up his servant Jesus, sent him to bless you in turning away every one of you from your iniquities. I'd encourage you to read on in chapter four, listen to the religious leaders responding to this. They arrest him at the end of that arrest and release. They're looking to God in prayer, another righteous act of prayer, which we're gonna be pressing into prayer for the next multiple weeks. Looking to God for boldness. Boldness in God, I'm asking you, worship team, come on up. Worship team, uh, that we are asking our God, for the boldness to listen to the words that Jesus tells us and listen to a way that we're not just skipping along the surface, but listening to his words in a way that we're allowing his words to sink down into our heart. Asking God for the boldness, Lord, I'm I'm asking you for the boldness to make the decisions today, tomorrow, every day until I see you face to face, that you give me the boldness to live out my life in a way that shines you that brings glory to you in a way that I'm responding to you, Lord, in love. Not because I have to, not because this is my religious duty, not because this is my title, not because this is what Christians do, but simply just responding to who you are in boldness, in courage. Because when I look at myself in the mirror, my flesh gives me all kinds of excuses why I don't need to have bold faith in Jesus and boldly trust him. My world gives me a million other reasons of why I ought not to follow the creator of the heavens and the earth and our redeemer and our savior. The devil is always sitting there speaking to us about how to hold on to self instead of letting go of self and simply believing these words of Jesus. 
As we press into the message, uh, inviting you to come up and participate in communion, come and grab it, take communion with your families as you remember his body and his blood as believers in Jesus Christ. But this has just been, a, again, it's, it's a repetitious um, echo in my soul. That my life is not a stage. I love you. I know that you see me. I know that we rub shoulders with one another. Most of you like me. Some of you I irritate to the nth degree, but you still put up with me because you have to, because we're going to be in eternity forever together with one another. I know that you pray for me. I know that we help serve the Lord, one another in our congregation here. Those are, that's wonderful, and it's great, and we're going to continue to do so. But I know that my life is in a stage performance. I know that I can't fool myself and I don't want to fool myself. I don't want to fool you. I want to put my best foot forward with you and all of my interactions for sure. I want the Lord to cover my mistakes because the word of God tells us love covers a multitude of sins. So as I interact with you, I want my sight as I see you when you make your mistakes and you make your failures, that my love for the Lord covers over a multitude of your wrongs. Because I know that you're fighting the fight, fighting the good fight of faith, just like I am. That we encourage each other, that we equip each other, that we build one another up, that we remind each other. We're gathered this morning to sit at the feet of our Savior, to hear his words, and not just to hear them, but to actually do them. Not because you have to. Because you don't. You don't have to do anything. But if you love Jesus, if you love your creator, you will do everything that he leads you to do, even if you're trembling in your boots. Amen? And I promise the reward that he has for you for all eternity, stand up church, we are going to see our creator face to face. And if that's not a motivator for your soul, I don't know what can be a motivator. So close your eyes, open your hearts, open your mouths. Lord, let us see you right now. Let us hear you. Give us the power to worship you in spirit and in truth. Let us remember your body, your blood. Let us know beyond a shadow of a doubt that we have been created by you and that we are loved by you, that you lead us, that you see us, and let that truth overwhelm our souls with praise. Amen.